Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. That was such a good set. I don't even, let's just go to invitation. I'm done. All right, let's just do it. You ready to repent after that one? Do it. Go ahead. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Welcome to everybody that's here in person, everybody watching online. Hi, Mom. I know Mom's watching. I get to do that. Brownie points. Hey, everybody. Good to see you. Say hello in the comments. Glad everybody's here. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is where we're headed. Um, I want to say thank you for everybody who's uh, talked to me and asked about and prayed this week for our little girl, Leah. Um, I was absent last Sunday morning because not 10 minutes before service started, I got a phone call that somehow a three-month-old had launched herself off of the changing table and landed on the hardwood floor. So I spent my first Father's Day in the emergency room. Um, and all the parents are looking at me like, eh, that probably won't be the first trip. Um, so that was fun. She's fine. Just so we're clear, she's good. Everything's cool. Cool medical fact, if you didn't know it, we learned this just last Sunday. Babies can't get concussions, so that's good to know. Um, the way their skull is shaped, it's all mushy and it's just plates. A concussion's caused when the brain bounces off the inside of the hard skull. And because of that, a baby's brain and head bounce like a dodgeball together. Don't try it. Don't test the theory. Don't give it a shot. I'm just, take my word for it. I'm going to take the doctor's word for it. We're never going to try it again. And some furniture got rearranged at my house, so that stuff can't ever occur again. Pray for my wife's nerves. <laughs> We're all good now, though. Baby's all good. She was laughing and cutting up in the ER. I was like, yeah, you're my kid. Trying to entertain everybody already. You're the one who was hurt. We are in 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and you will recognize it as the love chapter. Um, you have probably read it many, many times this morning. We're going to take a look at it again. We're going to look at some context for it. We've been working our way through 1 Corinthians in the student ministry with Rise on Wednesday nights. Um, just kind of working our way through um, everything he was teaching the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth was a troubled church living in a very carnal city. Does that sound familiar to anybody? <laughs> it was a church with its own internal problems living within a... a, a a community and a culture that was very much not gospel friendly. They were, they were anti-gospel, they were, they were carnal, they were a society of pleasure and of lawlessness. And the church at Corinth was letting some of that seep in. And instead of being an influence and a light in Corinth, they were starting to look a little more like Corinth each day. Um, so we're currently in chapter 15, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk us back to, that's where we're at in youth group, but uh, I'm going to walk us back to 13. Throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to Corinth, and about, uh, one of the problems they're having is with spiritual gifts. Now, everybody's got spiritual gifts. We all have spiritual gifts. And he starts working through some of them, and part of the list of the spiritual gifts we get, we get from 1 Corinthians. But the problem was the church at Corinth was arguing about their spiritual gifts. They were getting mad at each other over it. And the spiritual gifts, I want to make sure we're all clear on them. We've got, I'll run through the list here. We have the sign gifts that were needed for a time, but no longer needed. Speaking in tongues, miracles, and healing. Those were gifts given to the apostles and to the first church in order to spread the gospel in their time. Um, signs and gifts that have passed into time as the Bible said they would. And then you have enabling gifts, the, the gifts that all of us possess that are given by the Holy Spirit, such as discernment, faith, knowledge, and wisdom. 
Those are gifts we are all in possession of and are supposed to employ at all times. And then there are what we might call the task-oriented gifts. And if you ever ta- anybody ever taken a spiritual gifts assessment test? Anybody? Okay. Uh, all my youth group kids should be raising your hand. We did it Wednesday night together. <laughs> Uh, there's several good ones. One of, my, one of my professors from college, Elmer Towns, has one that he's put together online. I always refer people to that one because it's the simplest. Um, and it, it's not in, you don't need something super intuitive to tell you where your spiritual gifts lie. You just need kind of an answer about where you stand on certain things within the church. But those task-oriented gifts, as laid out by Ephesians, Romans, 1 Corinthians, are evangelism, prophecy, teaching, exhortation, shepherding, mercy, service, giving, and administration. I'm not going to run through an exhaustive list of what those are. I'm going to hit a couple that we, we all know what evangelism is. Prophecy. When I took a spiritual gifts test the first time as an adult, when I took it as a kid, it was, it was a little bit different. And those do change. That's why I encourage people to take them as they get older. But my first one as an adult and everyone since, prophecy has been in my top three. And the first time I th- saw that, I thought, cool, I get a superpower. It's not what prophecy is, unfortunately. I thought I was going to get some sort of like Professor X superpower. It's not what it is. I don't get to tell the future. Prophecy is actually the spiritual equivalent of being the nerd in class who reminds the teacher at 3 o'clock on a Friday that they forgot to assign homework over the weekend. That's what prophecy is, because prophecy is picking out the truth of every situation, whether it's helpful or not. That's, that's what prophecy boils down to, is discern, uh, using the discernment we all have to needle at that truth, but not just to needle at it, to tell others about it. So I am the, I am the nerd in the back of the class reminding everybody... And we have homework over the weekend. It's real fun all the time. You'll find out as we get into the sermon. Um, teaching is pretty obvious. Exhortation, big church work we use. It really just means lifting other people up. One of our students Wednesday night said, I got exhortation. What does that mean? I said, oh, that means you're done. You need to get out. He was like, what? I was like, I'm kidding. <laughs> that means you're good at lifting people up, which it was very apt because that student is very good at lifting people up. I, 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 love, I love that one. Shepherding, pastoring, uh, mercy showing, being merciful, having a heart of mercy for other people. This, these are the people who are good at hospital visits. Mercy's in my bottom three. I'm not good at hospital visits. I make the person in the hospital far more uncomfortable than whatever put them in the hospital does. I should not, ask Pastor Derek, I've gone with him on a few. I should not be part of hospital visits. And there was, I don't get invited anymore. Um, <laughs> service, um, acts of service. It's not just, we all serve. We all serve in some way, but acts of service, you feel particularly called to serving others and being a servant leader and serving the way Jesus did. Uh, giving, you're in a particular position to be able to give of yourself. We have some amazing givers in our church who give so that the ministry can keep going. And administration, that's you people who right now are taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> if you're taking notes right now, you probably got administration at least in your top five of, of spiritual gifts. I'm jealous of you. I wish I was one of you. I'm not. I'm not organizationally brained. I don't have an ounce of organization in my body. That's why God brought me Brianna to be my wife because she's all organization brain. I got nothing. Um, that's why there's a rule with all our students. If you have paperwork or money for a youth group trip, do not bring it to Ryan. He will set it down and forget it. <laughs> Bri will file it away, put it in an Excel sheet and be done and know exactly where it went. I nothing. Um, so those are our task-oriented gifts, and these are the same gifts that the church at Corinth are possessing, but they're also in possession of those sign gifts that have passed away, things like speaking in tongues, miracles, and healing, and the church at Corinth was arguing with each other. And we'll get, get into that in a little bit more. Um, but this question came up Wednesday night, and I'm going to be honest with you. Usually when I preach a sermon on a Sunday morning, I have an idea about two weeks ahead of time of what I'm going to preach. And uh, when we sat down Wednesday night with our student group, we were taking prayer requests. I said, pray for me. I got nothing. I have no idea. I don't know what I'm preaching Sunday. And they said, oh, cool. 
Um, usually I'm pretty well prepared, but come Wednesday night, I had nothing. And then Wednesday night, God bless him, one of our students asked a question that got my brain to do that thing it does every once in a while where it thinks. Did your brain ever do that? Mine doesn't either. Um, Somebody asked the question as we were looking through those gifts where it said knowledge and wisdom. They said, well, what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Um, she knows who she is. <laughs> what's the difference between knowledge and wisdom? And that's an excellent question. And so the explanation I always give for that is knowledge is all the things we know and all, and the, all the knowledge we're in possession of and ga- the ability to gain knowledge. And wisdom is the ability to, to, to use that knowledge for a, for a proposed end, where, when, and how to apply it so that we can get somewhere with it. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You have to have knowledge in order to have wisdom, but you can do a lot with a little, especially with God. So that being the difference, and the way I always explain it is that we can know, you and I can know every single fact that is in existence. In fact, we have access to every single fact that's in existence. We have Google in our pockets. We can know, even if you didn't have it, but somehow you were granted all knowledge in the universe. You were given every single fact there ever was to know. With every single fact in our possession, we still can't answer the question, why? Every fact that, and figure that has ever existed still can't answer the big whys. Why are we here? Why, does, why did God die for us? Why this situation? Why the church? Why redemption via the cross and the blood of Jesus? Why, 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 why? All the facts in the world can't answer those questions. And so that got me thinking, well, what does answer the why? And it's real simple. Love. Love answers the big why questions. The world, without realizing it, the world outside who doesn't know Jesus, every human being on this planet is seeking after love. Every single one of them, in some way or another. Um, I bet you didn't think you'd hear a Foo Fighters reference this morning, but I was watching a video about the Foo Fighters the other night, and they reopened Madison Square Garden to 150,000 people two weeks ago. Uh, Madison Square Garden had been closed for over 500 days, which had never happened, but due to COVID, this massive arena, one of the biggest event venues in America, was closed for over 500 days. And so they asked Foo Fighters to be the, the act to open it back up. I like Foo Fighters. I think they're a good band. They're fun to listen to. And they get up there, and they've had this song called Times Like These that has kind of been their theme throughout COVID. And so they get up on stage, and very first thing, they're one of the biggest bands in the world. They don't come out to giant fanfare. They don't do pyrotechnics. The lead singer just walks out and says, hey, everybody, welcome to the concert. And then one, guitar, one, one guy, one guitar starts singing Times Like These. And the chorus goes, it's times like these we learn to live again. It's times like these we give and give again. It's times like these we learn to love again, time and time again. And when he got to that line, it's times like these we learn to love again, it, the camera panned to the crowd, and there were people weeping, arms in the air, holding each other, because of the, the last year and a half that we've been through. He's singing this song as the theme for it. It's times like these we learn to love again. And it looked like every worship concert I've ever been to, every major worship experience I've ever had, it looked like we did just a few minutes ago, hands in the air, praising love. The world is seeking love it is the job of the church to introduce them the idea that God is love and what they're really seeking is him. And so we take a look. If that's our job, then we need to re-examine love. And so the title of the sermon this morning, and yes, I may have pulled it from the lyrics of a Foo Fighter song, is Love Again. 
<laughs> That's what we're talking about this morning. Um, I want to read chapter 13. We're going to read it in its entirety. It's not a long chapter. And then we're going to kind of pick through it little by little. But it says <clears throat> in verse 1. So remember, he's, he's gone through spiritual gifts. He's explained you don't need to fight over whose gift is more superior, or whose is better, whose is, is more out there. Because the people speaking in tongues were, were a little, getting a little haughty about things because their gift was out loud in front of people. And the people with the gift of prophecy were getting a little haughty because they believed that their gift was superior to everybody else's. And so the people who were mercy showers and service people and helps people were getting left by the wayside and looked down upon in this church. Because their gifts were a little more behind the scenes, a little less out front, a little less loud. And so he explains all this, and then he comes to verse, or chapter 13, verse 1, and he says, If I speak human or angelic tongues or languages, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast or to be burned, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, is not boastful, is not arrogant, is not rude, is not self-seeking, it is not irritable, and it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, and me as a prophecy nerd goes, ooh, and my ears prick up, they will come to an end. Oh, man. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, when the partial will come to an end, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection in a, as in a mirror. If you're in King James, he says, for now we see through a glass darkly. But then, talking about when the perfect comes, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. Now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. We've read that chapter. How many of you have heard that chapter? We've preached it uh, countless times. Uh, I know Derek and I, uh, through several weddings, have quoted that one. When we get up to, with two cute kids at the altar who are ready to get married and quote that and make sure that they understand it. I want to make sure we understand that in our language we have one word for love. Love. But in the Greek, they had four words for love. And the word we're looking at here uh, over and over again is, for love is agape. Agape is that Christ-like love. That's the love that put Jesus on the cross for you and me. That's the love that defeated death in the grave. That's the love that provides a way of salvation. That's the love that carries the gospel from this church out to the community around us. It's that unconditional Christ-like love. We understand that there are multiple kinds of love. I love my wife. I love my mom. I love my daughter. I love you guys, and I love Jesus. And if I loved any of those two things the same way, it'd get kind of weird. That's because there are multiple types of love. In Greek, they had four words. I won't go into that lesson. I've done it plenty of times. But um, agape is what we're talking about here, that Christ-like love that all of us are in possession of, all of us have equal access to. 
As I was getting this message ready this week, um, I follow a guy on, online named Micah Freeze. He's been a friend to this church. Um, he's, been bef- he's been with us before through, our, um, through some of the processes we went through in our transition. Um, and he posted this quote this week on, on Facebook as I was getting ready for this, and it'll pop up on your screen. It says, the entirety of the Christian faith begins with and generates from love. Ours should be an intellectual faith, it should be an active faith, it should be a practical faith, but if it is not a loving faith, it is not genuinely Christian. And then he, he tacks on Matthew twenty two thirty seven through 40, which is the part of the Bible where, where the, we actually looked at it a few weeks ago with our guest speaker, where the lawyer comes to Jesus and says, what are the greatest, com- uh, the greatest commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and your strength. And the second is like unto this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a lot. We can boil it down to love God, love others, right? That's the mandate. Agape love, love God, love others. Can we be honest with ourselves as American Christians today and admit that we have taken the mandate of love God and love others and we've added a lot to it that doesn't belong? Whole lot of extra stuff tossed in there on top of love God, love others. A lot of stuff that's taking that simple message of the gospel, and the gospel has to be simpler, people like me wouldn't get saved, amen? That simple message of the gospel and just burying it and so many other things. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Let's look at chapter 13. And I, this, is how, this is how I preach because this is how I teach with our students. It's expository, which is just a big word for I didn't write three points that sound nice. I'm not that skilled and talented as a preacher. I don't pull three points out of it. I just walk us through what, the, what it says, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. Um, so in, in chapter 13, he says, If I speak with human or angelic tongues, but I... I do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. When I was getting ready to explain this, I was like, what do I have at my disposal? And I remember that this pulpit's made of metal. Doesn't that get annoying after a while? I thought about putting a mic on the underside of it just so it would really illustrate the point, but I think you guys get it, right? How many of you have been graced and blessed by the in-laws or the grandparents of your children with a toy that makes all kinds of noise? Anybody? If my mother-in-law is watching right now, we love the little piano. Thank you so much. We love it. But <laughs> you all know what I'm talking about. It's, uh, she gave us a little piano that when Leia's laying on her back, she can kick and hit five notes. Except Leia doesn't move right now, so she kicks that one note over and over and over again. And sometimes I'll just scoot her. Let's hit the next note now. You guys know what I'm talking about. A clanging gong, a cymbal. This is what he's, it's no different back then than it is now. A continuous noise over and over again is annoying. How many of you have ever, I don't know, we do this when we're younger sometimes, maybe when you're older, I don't know, you're bored at work, maybe you've done it, where you say a word out loud and you say it so many times it begins to lose all meaning? Yeah? So he's saying here, I can speak any language, but if I speak it to people without love in it, it just becomes noise after a while. If I have the gift of prophecy, that's me, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, not me, and I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, that's a strong statement. I am nothing. That's strong. If I have all these gifts, if I possess the faith like a mustard seed to, to be able to move a mountain, but if I, do, if I do it without love, I'm nothing. That one speaks for itself. I don't need to explain it further. Then he goes on. If I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast or be be burned but do not have love, I gain nothing. And he's walking through the spiritual gifts, by the way. 
If I have prophecy, or if I have faith, if I have giving as my spiritual gift, but if I do any of them without love, it's worth, worthless. Absolutely worthless. And then he comes to this, this part where he starts parsing these out in verse 4. And remember, he's talking to a church that has been fighting with each other. And I think as he describes love, he's also describing exactly how they've been acting towards each other when he says it. Love is patient. They were being very impatient with each other. Love is kind. They were being very unkind to one another. Love does not envy. They were envious of each other's gifts. Love is not boastful. It is not arrogant. The ones who had those outward gifts were standing tall above the other people and saying, my gift is so much more superior to your gift. It is not rude. They've been rude to each other. It is not self-seeking. They've been very self-centered at this point towards each other. It is not irritable. They've been very irritable with each other. In acts of worship, they are irritated with one another. They're side-eyeing each other as they worship the Lord. And does not keep a record of wrongs. Sorry to all you organization, administration people, but he's talking to you there. He's saying they're not taking notes on what everybody's doing to hold it against them later. And that's exactly what they were doing. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Um, I told you guys I'm kind of a nerd for these spiritual gifts and all things Bible stuff, but especially when I found out one of my spiritual gifts was prophecy, and then it was about truth. And I remember um, Ed Henson was one of my professors at, at Liberty during Bible college, and he, it, he said something that it, a lot of things stuck with me through college, but this was the one that stuck the most. It was because it's so simple. He said, all truth is God's truth. Taking that to mean, if it's true, it's of God, and it's to be honored. Even if the true thing isn't good, even if we're being true about what's not right, even if, but in all things, if we're telling the truth, we honor God by honoring truth. I love that idea. And so he, he says, love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. We face truths that don't feel good. We face truths that are hurtful. We face truths head on because there is such a thing, I believe, and the Bible supports it, as absolute truth. That is the opposite of what our culture teaches right now, and that is one of the, one of the little subtle things we get, we, one of the many subtle things that kind of seeps into the church sometimes is we hear the phrase, speak your truth, preach your truth, share your truth. There's no versions of the truth. There is absolute truth, and his name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life in John. And so, John chapter 14, verse 6, the truth is to be honored in all things. And so that's why he's telling them, you're being terrible to each other. And Paul never minced words. He never needed to. He even used, employed a little bit of sarcasm sometimes. But he told them that the truth is to be honored. Verse 7 so he's kind of come down on him through the rest of these, and then he starts giving God's promises through truth, through love. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I want to back up on those real quick. When he says bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, he's using words that are, we have one word, bearing, believing, hoping, enduring, but they were idealistic single words that they had in the Greek language that actually said in... When it says it bears all things, it means it will produce the ability in us to bear all things. And when it believes all things, believes is a word they use for producing trust with each other. 
And when he says hopes, it means producing hope through all things. And enduring all things, that one's simple. It just does mean it's going to endure everything that the world is going to throw at it if you bear up with one another in love. And so he, takes, he uses those words as he goes through, and then he, then he hits this promise, love never ends. Never fails in some translations. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. All these, all these gifts that they're arguing about, that they're saying, my gift is better than yours, he's saying, those, all, those will end. These things come to a stopping point. When this world is over and we're all in the next world, these things come to an end, but love keeps going. And if you don't have love, none of the rest of these matter. Uh, verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. He's saying we, we don't know everything yet. We've got partial knowledge. We've got, we've got, we've got, we're still learning. And then he uses this analogy. Um, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put aside childish things. He's saying we didn't, when you're a child, you're not dumb. Kids, none of you are dumb. I, I want all of you to know that. I emphasize that a lot. None of you are dumb. You're learning. You don't have it all yet. You're getting there. Not one of you is dumb. You are learning. Adults are dumb all the time. We've had the opportunity to learn, and we just let it slip on by. <laughs> no child is dumb. Everybody's learning. He's saying, when I was a child, I didn't, I didn't know things, so I reasoned like a child would reason with what I had to reason with, and I spoke like a child with the words I had to speak with. And I think he's, he's, he's hearkening back to this idea that they're, they're all gas, no brakes on all these, these partial truths of what their spiritual gift is and what they can do with it, but they're forgetting love. And when we have truth without love, we're in an imbalance because the Bible says we're supposed to preach the truth in love. We're supposed to have both. And he's saying it's immature to be all truth with no love. There is... A TikTok and Twitter account I love to follow. I share with uh, I share with people sometimes. I'll share it with you. I won't name it because plenty of people have talked about it before. Some of you know what it is, but there are a lot of preachers on there preaching against things that don't really matter. And it shares clips from all over the place uh, of guys standing in pulpits, and it's just it's quick clips of guys standing in pulpits yelling about stuff. I and some of the more ridiculous have been I found guys um, preaching against the evils of Starbucks from the pulpit. It's real. <laughs> they didn't put, they put snowflakes on a cup one year and it made some preachers very, very mad. Just a side note, it's not corporation's job to share the love of God or the hope of Christmas. It's the, it's the church's job. That's us, not, not corporations. That's a side note. I won't get on a soapbox about that. But I've also, as far as in the ridiculousness, I've also watched guys on there. Um, this is an actual quote. Feet shod in Chuck Taylors cannot be shod in the preparation of the gospel. Amen. He yelled it which I took particular offense to because those are my favorite shoes. Preaching against Chuck Taylors. <laughs> it's ridiculous. All gas, no brakes on things you think are the truth without love in them lead you to some wacky places in your faith to start adding all this stuff on top of love God, love others that doesn't belong there. We do it. I do it. I'm, I'm sure I'm guilty of it. We do it all the time. We stack all this other stuff, all these other expectations, all these other thoughts. It's immature. We're thinking like a child. We're acting like a child. When we try to take this very simple message of love God, love others, and stack all our other stuff on it without loving people first. 
It comes across as immature, and the world picks up on it and sees it, and their criticisms of the church are very valid in that. There is an entire, my entire generation right now, if you get online and, and, and look on, TikTok is the newest thing. For those of you who don't know, it is, it is the lo- latest social platform. If you need education on it, we'll do, a, we'll do a seminar. I feel like we probably have to do one every month because a new one pops up. But there's a hashtag on there now that you can follow called Exvangelical. And it's all these people, my age mostly, who are coming out the other side of their church experience and for whatever reason have left the church. They're exiting, they're done, they are deconstructing their faith. There is a a big movement right now called deconstruction. Um, And I see a lot of people hop on social media and getting mad at people who are exiting the church and deconstructing their faith. First first off, deconstruction is not new. It is not a new thing. Peter went back to fishing after Jesus was crucified. You can't tell me there wasn't a moment where he deconstructed everything he believed and left. And it took Jesus appearing to him after he had, after he had uh, resurrected to bring Peter back. So that's part of it. But also, I think it's a missed opportunity for the church to look at all these people in my generation who are deconstructing their faith and being very, very honest about it on social media I think we should look at it as probably the greatest tool we've ever been handed because for the first time in a long time, we're being given a very honest exit interview for the church. And the common theme, and I've been talking about this with our students on Wednesday nights because they see it on TikTok as well, the common theme that runs through all of those is not one of these people have left the church for good over something Jesus said or did. There is no complaint with anything Jesus said. There is no complaint with anything Jesus did. It's all about what the church has carried out in Jesus' name that doesn't necessarily match up with love God, love others. And I think it's a very, it's, it's heartbreaking. It is, it is hurtful to, to watch some of that for sure, but I think we should see it for what it is, an opportunity to be more like Jesus as the church. So I'm kind of addicted to watching through all of these. And there's a few guys that I really like. There's a guy who, who went through Bible college and went through all that. And he, can, he is parsing apart all the things that people are splitting churches and getting mad at people over. And saying this isn't biblical and this isn't biblical and this isn't biblical. And there's a, there's a few of them. For every few that are really good, there are some that are just, that are just angry. But we've got a real honest thing we can look at there. Where were we? Um, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Or if you're in the King James Version, it says, for now we see through a glass darkly. At the time, they didn't have the ability to produce a mirror like you and I would think of as a mirror. It wasn't that pure. It didn't look that clean. The cleanest look you were going to get at yourself was probably if you found some still water and were able to look down into it. So sometimes you, if you had a glass maker who would make a mirror, but it, you know, he didn't have the correct materials, you'd get a cheap mirror that was kind of dark. It was kind of muddy. It was kind of, it was kind of, there was rust kind of running through it in the metals they used, and it didn't look very good. Um, and some mirrors were better, and the more expensive the mirror at the time. Now you and I can go out for, and buy a mirror for $10 at Walmart, and it looks fine. It looks exactly like the reflection. We may not like everything, everything in it, but that's not the mirror's fault, is it? Um, but they... You had to pay a lot of money to get a, get a good mirror. He says, for now we see only a reflection is in a mirror or through a glass darkly. But then, and then he's referring to a moment ago when he said, when the perfect comes, which is when we stand face to face with Jesus. Face to face. Now I know in part, he's talking about this partial childlike knowledge we have, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. And to me, that is the scariest verse in the Bible. 
that one day all the pretense will be gone and all of the, the walls I've thrown up and all my defense mechanisms will be stripped away and all the falseness I put forth to look okay and put together will disappear and I will stand spiritually naked before my creator. Having all knowledge at that time and so even the things I've lied to myself about about me will be revealed. Existentially speaking, that is terrifying to me, but it's honoring the truth of who we really are, and all of us will stand there someday. So he's saying, you want to argue about your spiritual gifts, but someday all this pretense about how good you are and how, much of a, how good a Christian you think you are, how good a person you think you are, and how much better you are than you, you think you are than other people, it's all going to be gone, and all that's going to be before you is your sin and your God. It will all be stripped away. Paul had a way with words. And then he finishes it. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and love, three amazing things. Faith, hope, and love, but faith and hope, um, he's saying, are not as great as love. Faith and hope don't necessarily end, but they change. When we are on the other side of glory and we're in heaven, our faith is no longer the hope in our heart. Our faith is our eyes. We're seeing it, we're standing in it, we're there. We're before God in his presence, standing in his glory in the, in the place we've hoped for. And hope, hope has is, hope is become reality. It's no longer a thing that lives in our heart. It is a thing that is the reality of our day to day. But love, you and I have, the, have access to the exact same level of love right now that we will have when we stand before God in heaven. And we are neglecting that gift. We are neglecting it entirely. Emily, will you come up? And here is the part of the sermon I'm most nervous about. I have an illustration I want to try. I've wanted to try it for a really long time. But it really requires crowd participation. So if you guys stick with me through this, I think this will be really cool. If you check out on me, this is going to be super lame. <laughs> and for those of you watching via Facebook this morning, this will not go over great across Facebook. So that's just a, a great invitation for you to come on and join us in, in person soon. It's mostly safe. I only say mostly because David Leslie's here and he bites. But other than that, we're probably good. I want to take... Okay, well, good news. You're all in the choir now. We are a choir for the next 10 minutes. I want to take, I don't want to split this. First three rows, and then, and then the Simpsons. You guys are going to be part of this group. That's one. Hold up your hand. What group are you? You're one. Langs and Jamie and everybody back, you guys are two. You're twos. Everybody on this side together because we're a little sparsely and sound booth. Not you, Kevin. Nobody needs to hear it. I'm kidding. <laughs> this whole group, you're three. What are you? You're three. We're going to join the choir real quick. Your choir group is one, two, and three, and we're going to do this. Play it. That's all we're going to do. It's a three-part chord, and we're going to sing it together. And so group one is going to sing this note. Here we go. You're going to ooh. Can everybody ooh? Ooh. Do it with me. Ooh. Ooh. Everybody can ooh. Good. We're good. Let's hit that first one. That's you. Ooh. Very good, choir. All right, group two, this is your note. Let's do it. Ooh. Very good. Group three, this is your note. Ooh. Give me a little volume. Ooh. Good. Now let's try to put them together. All right? So we're going to go one, two, three, and when you sing your note, just hold it. You ready? 
All right, group one, here we go. Let's add group two. Add group three. Oh, very cool. I was, I was nervous, but we got there. Now, here's what we're, we're going to go a little further. Ready for the next step? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go in one, two, three, one more time, just like we did. But when you get your ooh, hold it. And then as you start to run out of breath, stop. Don't hold it until you pass out. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> I don't want anybody ooing until they flop out in the floor. It is not that kind of service. I've had enough of people flopping in the floor this week. Let's not do that. <laughs> You're going to hold your ooh, and when you feel yourself start to run out of breath, just stop and wait. That's all I want you to do, okay? So let's get into them. Group one. Ooh. Group two. Ooh. Group three. Ooh. Hold it until you run out of breath. pretty far. All right, not bad. Next part. One more thing I want to do. This part is what we get taught in choir. Um, we're going to do that one more time. But when you start to run out of breath, catch your breath, keep going. Because everybody runs out at a different point. So somebody, the person next to you will keep, keep ooing. You just get back in there when you can. Okay? We're going to see how long we go with that. I'm not going to make you go too long. But when you feel yourself start to run out of breath, stop, take a breath, come back in. Okay? Ready? Here we go. Group one. Ooh, group two. Ooh, group three. Ooh, ooh. Keep doing that. And as you feel yourself run out of breath, take a breath and keep going. It sounds really pretty. I like it. And the kingdom of God is like unto this. That the church continues loving and the church continues serving. And you have a different gift from you. And you have a different place and time from you. You sang a different note from you. You had different timing from you. But we carried through. And as the church, when somebody needed a breath... They took it, and everybody else took up the burden to keep going so that they could join back in when they needed to. We sing that harmony, and that harmony we sing comes together in a chord, and that chord is what Jesus says the church is. Oh, I know it's cheesy. <laughs> I know, I'm well aware of how cheesy it is, but that chord resonates. When those three notes come together and you get something that's a little bit more than the sum of its parts, and that's what Jesus meant the church to be. Play that note for me again. You don't have to sing it, just, just play it. But we let so many other things, and I'm going to try to hit a note that doesn't match. Keep playing it, just keep on playing it. That doesn't fit. That's arrogance. That doesn't fit either. That's pride. Play the black keys. <laughs> <laughs> That's personal preference that gets in the way. Unforgiveness. Gossip. Politics. <laughs> we let so many other things work their way into our harmony, and our harmony gets thrown off. 
when what we should be doing is caring for each other in the moments when life hits us and knocks the wind out and we need to take a breath. And if we're arguing and if we're being selfish and if we're backbiting at each other as that happens, the people who need a moment to catch their breath will never get it and they will go. We care for one another. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much. Would you guys thank her for playing that chord for me? You can get ready for an invitation if you want to. And that's where I want to end this morning. That idea that we are one body, but many members. If we hate the world for acting like the world, we failed in our mandate to love unconditionally. And if we hate the other members of the church for acting like the world, we're just as guilty. We will never have all knowledge in this life, but we can access an infinite capacity to love here and now. But what do we do with it? We use it for so many other things. And we go so many other directions and we add so many things on top of love God, love others, that love God, love others becomes muffled and left in the background over the cacophony of other things we think we need or think we need to say or do or be. He's called you to a specific place, to a specific time. You were born for a reason. You were enabled with spiritual gifts and not just your three strongest, like we've been taught for the longest time. You are enabled with just about all the spiritual gifts to some degree. And when I taught this Wednesday night, I had them look at their top three spiritual gifts, but I had them also look at their bottom three to understand how we can serve better there too, because we're going to be called to serve in every capacity at some point using our spiritual gifts to lift each other up to be exhorters. Not just the exhortation people who have that as their top spiritual gift, but all of us, it is the job to lift each other up in the church and there should not be any of these other things getting in the way. You start playing whenever you're ready. That's where we're supposed to be. You might say, it's times like these, we learn to love again. That was cheesy too. We've been given a gift because the world has kind of hit the reset button. We went away and we're away from each other for so long and people are now learning the value of connection. How remiss are we to miss an opportunity to explain to the world and show them, not just with what we say but with what we do, that that connection is what they were created for and that's why they missed it so much. And that connection finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But we got to learn to lift each other up here as the church before we'll ever be able to lift them up out there. So this morning, as you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, it's, it's just that simple. Am I using the giftedness God has granted me with to lift up my church? And not, I don't mean, have I found a committee or a ministry to serve in? I mean, am I being the church to the church? Am I part of the harmony or am I part of the notes that don't fit? that caused the disunity. And then the next question is, am I making sure that happens so that this chord rings out into our community and they hear that Jesus loves them maybe for the first time, maybe for the 457,000th time, but are they hearing it from me? Because ladies and gentlemen, that is our job. To go and to tell. At work, at school, grocery store, wherever you're at, to take those little moments that we think are interruptions to our schedule and turn them around and use them for the kingdom of God. But we'll never do it if we don't love each other. We'll never do it if we don't have love for people who would never love us back. But that's how God loves. We need to learn to love the way that he loves above everything else.
Father, thank you now for this time we have. I pray in this just few minutes of quiet reflection and invitation, you would speak to our hearts. If there's anyone here who would need to pray or to, to speak to you, God, I pray they would have the comfort and the boldness to come, to lift up prayers, to talk to somebody. Be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.